0: I'm Dr. Phil Carrithers, and this is All the Phils, where I share with you my personal life experiences, including some professional ones. If you're looking for encouragement, hope, and some fun stories, you've come to the right place. On today's episode, I share with you my transition from social worker to doctor. Let's get to it. Welcome everyone. Such an exciting day. This is the first episode of All the Phils, episode number one, and you are here to listen to it. So I thank you for tuning in, to listening in, uh, adding this show to your playlist. I know there's so many great podcasts out there. Exciting that I get to be one of those at least for the moment. So it's exciting, very exciting. I'm happy to have you here again. My name is Dr. Phil Carrithers. Specifically, I am a pathology resident. I actually was a pediatrician. I was a pediatrician uh, resident for almost a year and decided that although kids are awesome, I love studying their diseases. I love studying cancers, tumors, all that good stuff. So I decided to make that switch, uh, that specialty from pediatrics to pathology. So I'll talk about that a little bit more in uh, detail a little bit later on. But uh, today's episode is just about my career change, and it is a doozy. I'm glad that you're here to hear all about it. We'll get started. So, we have all been asked at one time or another in our lives, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And as a child, we always think about what do we want to be when we when we grow up. <laughs> as an adult, we always Question, well, when have I reached that interface where I actually have indeed grown up? Am I immature? Do I need to mature a little bit more? As you can tell, that question can kind of get a little complicated, but I'm going to keep it simple. You know, what did you want to be when you grew up, right? Halloween. Halloween was always a fun favorite. You know, I was an 80s kid. I was born in the 80s. And a couple of times throughout the 80s and the 90s, I would dress up as my favorite profession uh, at the time that I wanted to be. I think at one point, for whatever reason, uh, I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. You know, I'm an Alabama kid. Roll tied, yes. <laughs> uh, that can get annoying. Not for me. But um, yeah, I think when I was seven, I had a Tennessee Volunteers football uniform, and that, that was my Halloween costume because at one point I wanted to be a football player. I think a lot of us wanted to you know, emulate our, you know, the the leaders of sports at one time or another. And for me, I love football. I didn't understand a, a thing of it. I just love the fact that you can get the ball, you can run it down, but if someone has the ball, you can go and tackle them and not get in trouble for it. I mean, that was before I knew what the you know, the penalty flags were. But, yeah, I mean, dressed up as as a football player for Tennessee – um, I think I dressed up as a farmer once, that was fun, got to wear some boots. Um, but at, at one point or another, you know, we, we always are asked, you know, what do we want to be when we grow up? Like, what's our dream job? What, what do we, what do we want to do? And I, I thought about it a little bit more as I grew up and decided that I wanted to be a storm chaser. And was this influenced by movies? Absolutely. It was my favorite movie of all time is Twister. Uh, you know, Helen Hunt stars in it, Bill Paxton, uh, you know, God rest his soul. Um, you know, that was my favorite movie growing up. I can quote it in the most annoying way possible, but it's just those movies that you grew up with that just have this huge emphasis on you and it kind of leads you towards, uh, you know, your career path or the path in life outside of your career uh, you know, it movies, they teach us, like, hey, what is love? Like, how do I know I'm in love? Well, <laughs> look at Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic, or, you know, look at the notebook, you know? Uh, so, little things like that. Um, so, yeah, that influenced my first career aspiration was being a tornado chaser. So, I wanted to be a meteorologist. And for the longest time, I, I thought, you know, I-, I would doodle tornadoes. I would always, you know, like draw the little cows flying around the tornadoes, uh, you know, destruction from the tornadoes and everything. I, I just love the the fascination behind it. i never actually saw a tornado up until later, which I will discuss because tornadoes actually helped me in my career choice. It was not to push me towards being a meteorologist, but something more. So, uh, I went through that phase of being a meteorologist. And then when I had to figure out how to explain how tornadoes formed, how lightning worked, how it rained. There was a lot of science involved and science scared me. Anything mathematics, uh, science, it scared me. So uh, I decided to just kind of put that on the back burner, not really go for a career and just uh, at that time, just try to focus on, you know, getting through school, middle school, uh, high school, uh, just trying to survive really. So, um, you know, but, but during that time, you know, even though I wasn't, you know, focused on my career at that time, I had a lot of fun jobs growing up. And I did write some of those jobs down just to remember, you know, uh, fun jobs growing up. It's literally my list right here. Uh, and one of my most memorable job experiences was uh, I dressed up for two days. I worked for a local cable company and I dressed up as a shark for, uh, and waved at people on the side of the road with another friend of mine, Robert Shankwitz. Uh, good guy. Uh, we marched in band together. I was a band kid, and uh, he knew somebody who worked at the local c- cable company. And um, you know, I forgot what <laughs> I forgot what he dressed up as, but I was a shark. Uh, I had like this white shirt that had like the Discovery Planet logo on it at the time. Because uh, I know that logo's changed since then, but uh, the old school one from the '90s, uh, in late 2000s or early 2000s, and. Uh, yeah, we just waved at people on the side of the road. Um, it got so hot. I mean, again, I'm from you know Huntsville, Alabama. It's up north, north Alabama, and it gets humid. Uh, there's no built-in ventilation in those suits. So, you know, the money was worth it. It was fun waving at people on the side of the road. And uh, ironically enough, that was not my first job, waving at people on the side of the road. Um, in college, in my undergrad... I actually dressed up as a clown and I was promoting a local burger joint, uh, in the little town of Blue Mountain, Mississippi. So all my Blue Mountain people who are listening right now is a little shout out to you. They are no longer Blue Mountain College. They are Blue Mountain Christian University. Just changed the name. Uh, so yeah, just, you know, thinking of like fun jobs I did then, um, you know, I was a private drum instructor. Um, you know, I did play uh, drums growing up. Like I said, I was in band. I was on the drum line. The Cool kids. Nah, I think all band kids are cool kids, but you know, drumline it was uh, it was a different time. It was it was exciting. Um, I got to be a uh, you know high school drumline instructor for various parts of the South. You know, in Memphis, uh, in Tuscaloosa, uh, and uh, I even uh, auditioned for the University of Alabama uh, drumline uh, for snare, and um, I actually got the part. But they said, hey, we need, uh, we need somebody to teach these bass drummers. You know, we need a bass drum tech. And, you know, at the time when I auditioned for this, I was 24. I was not an 18-year-old that, you know, I was competing against all these other 18-year-olds who had good chops, right? When you're a drummer, you, you talk about your chops, right? You got to maintain that skill set, that skill level. And so uh, I turned down a position to march for Alabama and just to teach for that summer, the t- summer of 2011. Uh, that was actually the same year that Alabama LSU played in the national title, and we did win that game. <laughs> Exciting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I got two free T-shirts for teaching that summer. Didn't really get paid, but, you know, that and it made the resume look good. You know, that adult brain kicking in. Um, you know, again, jobs, right? We had a lot of them. Um, I did work at McDonald's, <laughs> so I know a lot of us have a uh, fast food, uh, or maybe a waiter/waitressing uh, experience in life. I have both. Uh, I did work at McDonald's when I was 16. Did the drive-through. You know, um, I think I only lasted there a couple of months. I just you know, it wasn't for me. But uh, you, you definitely learn about customer service, about uh, how to deal with uh, rude customers. But you also, you know, you know, you learn about every job that you do. You learn that not every customer is going to be nice to you. Uh, even some people, when you're waving it to them on the side of the road, even in an awesome shark costume, uh, they're going to give you the finger. But that's just part of it. Um, I, uh, I was an uh, EMT. I did get my EMT uh, basic uh, through community college. And uh, I actually worked for uh, an uh, emergency medical service company that literally shut down that day. So my first day was um it was you know it was on a Friday, eight AM and I um I was like, look, I want the experience, you know, I'm trying to this is later on in life when I decided to pursue medicine, but uh I wanted that experience. And they were on the verge of uh collapsing as far as just the company itself apparently uh, a lot of their employees were not getting paid, but I just wanted the experience. I said, if, if you last maybe uh, a month or two longer, Hey, that's two months of experience that, you know, I wouldn't have gotten before. And so I worked for them for one day, got to drive the ambulance, you know, lights on and everything. Uh, got to tend to some patients, you know, we transported patients for their dialysis, uh, appointments, all that good stuff. And then at five o'clock, uh, our boss sat us all down and he said, Hey, Phil, uh, I'm sorry that, you know, this is your first day. You did a great job, but we just got to let everybody know we're, we're shutting down operations today. So that was my one day as an, uh, emergency, emergency medical service, uh, you know, worker as an EMT. So that was, that was fun. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, we, we all do different types of jobs, you know, Um, I got to work as a cardiovascular tech, Um, you know, I was on the code team. Essentially, we're just like a a group of people within this uh, cardiac, um, it's like a clinic for cardiac patients uh, adjacent to the hospital, and uh, if there was a code or something, I'd respond to it. Um, You know, if there, I was mainly, you know, doing vitals, doing EKGs, stuff like that. Uh, so that was a fun job. I I know I'm kind of jumping around the timeline here, but all that to say that, you know, we, we have different jobs and different experiences, uh, that we're engaged with. And, you know, these, uh, these different jobs, right. They're not going to be forever jobs. Um, you know, 95% of the time they're not, they're kind of building us towards that dream job, that one big job that we're going to do one day. Um, well, fast forward to that, you know, I went to, um, you know, that great Blue Mountain College, now G- Blue Mountain Christian University. And, um, you know, I did get an undergrad in psychology. Um, I considered being a doctor even in high school, but my grades did not reflect it. I was C's at best, maybe C+. plus. <laughs> uh, I just had a bad time with reading comprehension. It, it was just... I could not retain any information whatsoever, and it was affecting my grades. And thus, I was not going to be able to uh, pursue what I really wanted to. Um, In high school, I did consider being a physician. I wanted to be a doctor, but I knew that my grades weren't there. Uh, I had a hard time focusing and concentrating. And I actually did not find out that I had ADHD, uh, which is, you know, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I did not realize that I had it until late in high school, I think my junior or senior year. And, you know, once I found out about that, and once I found out that there's treatment for it, um, I feel like, oh, man, my GPA, I could have been working on it all this time. Uh, but, you know, at least we find out now, uh, now but better than, you know, never. So, um, you know, I I decided, well, at the time, you know, I like people. I, I work with people. Um You know, I want to help people. You know, I think a lot of us, we we want to help people in different avenues, whether it be medical, non-medical, and you could be finances, you know, helping somebody uh, mortgage their home, maybe, you know, whatever it may be, uh, maybe as a counselor or something like that. And for me, um, at the time, I I wanted to be a family marriage therapist. Um, I had, uh, you know, been influenced by uh, my professor in undergrad, uh, Dr. Sweat, Dr. Jeffrey Sweat great psychology uh, professor, and he kind of inspired me to kind of go that psychology route. So once I got my undergrad in psychology, um, I ended up going to uh, Memphis. I lived in Memphis for a little bit, did some social work there. I got to work with, uh, you know, a a group of uh, special needs adults, Um, you know, and it wasn't in an institution. It was in a um you know every one of them had like their own house houses there was like three clients two three clients based upon their level of functioning uh so if they were all like you know high functioning there would usually be three to a house and there were you know low functioning that need a little bit more help it'd be two to a house so on and so forth so uh i got to work for a company like that and let me tell you um you know when you work with clients like that you know uh ranging from angelman syndrome to autism to you know, just global developmental delays, uh, whatever they may have. Um, It's so rewarding. It really is. Uh, You learn how to really communicate with people, especially when trying to help uh, with their daily tasks. And then you come home after a shift and you realize, wow, you know, I, I do my morning routine without even thinking about it. And I get paid to help somebody else talk them through their morning routines, their afternoon routines, their jobs, you know, they, they had jobs. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's such a blessing. It really is. That's one of the most, my most favorite jobs that I ever had. Um, I'm just thinking about all my clients now. Uh, but it was, it was a great place, uh, out there in Memphis. And, uh, I realized that after doing that, I, I wanted to continue education. I really did. I wanted to continue, my career path because usually you don't just stop with a undergrad in psychology. Usually you'll go on to get a master's in something, whether it be you know clinical psych or an MSW, master's of social work, or you know, whatever it may be. So I remember that I decided, you know, all right, I'm gonna take this thing called the GRE. <laughs> um uh G R E. So I think a lot of us, I mean if you haven't um, you know, taken that test uh, it's usually it had been a prerequisite for master's level, um, you know, master's level uh, work. You know, entry level into there. So it was, it was the Graduate Record Examination. Uh, you know, just a standardized test. Um, let me tell you what I I learned so many vocabulary words studying for that thing. Uh, it it really uh, focuses on your you know, your reading comprehension, your ability to assess information, and to, you know, reflect on what you just read in a paragraph, so on and so forth. Um, Since COVID uh, 2020, many graduate schools have dropped the requirement for GRE. Um, I think they realize that, you know, you're more than just a standardized test uh, score. You are, you know, let's see the whole body of work. Let's see what you are as a person. Let's see what your aspirations are. And let's see you thrive outside of this GRE. So, and I know that uh, a lot of graduate schools too were kind of suffering uh, because of dipping admission, uh, admission applications. They just weren't seeing that flow anymore, uh, especially with, you know, COVID. So a lot of them said, Hey, you know what, let's just forget about the GRE and let you come in. So uh, I took my GRE three times and it was more so just to get that, you know, that good score, that I could. And uh, my third score, I got into University of Alabama, you know, my dream school. Um, You know, a lot of people were wondering, well, why didn't you go to Alabama for your undergrad? (laughs) Well, I didn't know what, uh, there's also another test called the ACT. uh, And that's usually a requirement, you know, for college admissions for undergrad. And I didn't know what that was until the month before I graduated high school. And I took a cold turkey, did not do any prep courses, no practice questions. I took that thing cold turkey. I did good enough to get into Blue Mountain, but nowhere near good enough to get into Alabama. Uh, not to say Blue Mountain is not a high caliber school. It is a great school. Um, I, if I could choose any other school to go, you know, another four-year institution to go to, I would still go to Blue Mountain any day. Uh, good student-faculty uh, ratio. Um, You know, I really developed as a person there and uh, went through a lot of trial and tribulation there, but uh, I got to learn how to, um, how to respond to that trial and tribulation uh, because of Blue Mountain. So it was a great institution. It was really good. Google it sometime. Uh, They have a lot of new sports teams now, way more than (laughs) I'd ever seen. I was actually on the first, uh, first ever uh, cross country team. Uh, That's a fun story. Um, well, I got time. I can tell you. So, uh, imagine, uh, me walking on campus of Blue Mountain College. Uh, at the time it was around 350 students. Uh, It's a hot day. I'm drinking and I don't drink soda anymore. I was chugging a three liter, three liter, not two liter, a three liter thing of Mountain Dew. I loved Mountain Dew. Um, that was my, (laughs) that was my favorite. And I saw this guy walk up to me and it was the cross country coach. And he said, Uh, Hey there, uh, son, uh, we're starting a cross-country team. Uh, Would you like to try out? And I looked down at my, I had about a quarter amount left of Mountain Dew. And I said, sure, when is it? Next week or a few days? He's like, actually, it's in an hour. And I didn't drink any water. And I was like, well, I want to be a college athlete. That'd be pretty awesome to be a college athlete. So what do I do? Do I pour out the Mountain Dew? Nah, that'd be wasteful. So I just chugged the rest of that Mountain Dew, got in some running clothes, and all the requirement was is you have to run three miles without stopping. Three miles. Well, (laughs) I ran, and uh, I mean, it was the the temperature outside. I mean, the sun was beaming. It was hot. I think uh, it was high. It was like, High 80s, low 90s. I mean, it was hot. Uh, But it's a worst case scenario for someone who hadn't been drinking any water at all. I mean, I've been chugging that Mountain Dew. I started on that Mountain Dew two days ago. For any of those college kids who, you know, have weird eating, drinking patterns, uh, that was one of mine. (laughs) I would work on a Mountain Dew for a couple of days until it's gone and then next thing comes along. But uh, so, yeah, that's all we had to do. And I, I remember just, you know, running and having to kind of walk a little bit. I would sway to the left and right because I felt a little little dizzy. Uh, I was definitely very dehydrated. And I remember I was about 10 yards away from the finish line. And everything starts going black. I mean, I'm, I'm losing feeling and everything. And then I just black out. And then I wake up and I, I see like three or four people kind of hovering over me. You know, They're blocking the sun over me and they're picking me up and I grab my left cheek and I look on my hand and it was just white chalk all over the place I passed out face first on the finish line <laughs> it was incredible I mean it was a borderline medical emergency but it was you know it was dehydration you know um you know just uh, a little bit of uh you know hyperthermia there but um yeah I was able to make the team and that was, that was it. That was my story of how I got onto uh, cross country. But, uh, anyway, so we were talking about the GRE, right. And, uh, took that thing three times and, uh, I left Memphis. Um, and, uh, I actually worked, um, I got to do an internship while I was working on my master's in social work. So it was it was MSW down in Tuscaloosa, one of the best MSW programs in the nation. Um, and, you know, I, you know, a lot of it had to deal with, you know, policy reform and learning how to, you know, um, you know, how to go through different social work cases and assessments and, you know, everything social work. I mean, it was just a huge gambit of social work. And some of my jobs that I did, since we're talking about fun jobs, um, probably my most memorable one was when I was an anger management leader in the Tuscaloosa County Courthouse. So uh, as an intern, so I did an internship with the Public Defender's Office uh, through the Tuscaloosa County Courthouse. And uh, one of my jobs, along with being kind of like the that liaison between, you know, inmates and their lawyers, you know, like an inmate gives me notes like, hey, I need you talk to my lawyer who give this to him, you know, stuff like that. Um, I did anger management and I remember being in a, uh, a giant room with, um, with about 50, about 40, 50 inmates. Um, and I was going to teach my first lesson on, it was going to be validating anger, you know, uh, you know, what does it mean to validate anger? And I remember getting in there and I just see, you know, I see all these men dressed in orange, you know, uh, just sitting down patiently waiting, you know, nobody was yelling, talking, they, they were genuinely interested in, all right, how do we validate anger? Um, <laughs> I was nervous, you know, I had, I had never been in that situation before and I look around, I see nothing but orange jumpsuits. I do not see a single, uh, you know, security guard, uh, you know, corrections officer, I don't see anybody in there. And I see the last guy. I only see one of them and he's closing the door. I run up to the door and I say, Hey, Hey, and I put my hand on the door real quick before he closes. I was like, Hey, 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 <laughs> hey um, so are, is one of you or, you know, four or five of you gonna kind of be in here. I was trying to whisper it to him cause I didn't want to like say it out loud to the, to the inmates. I don't want to cause a ruckus. Um, you know, it's for anger management. I haven't taught them to manage their anger yet. So let's, let's hold off on that. And he said, well, if you're good at your job, you ain't got to worry about a thing. And then he shut the door. And I remember just shaking my head and I said, well, I mean, he's right, but it would have been nice to have a little bit of, uh, you know, have a, have a garden there at least. So I kind of stopped thinking about the fears of it and we sat down and you know started talking about validating anger and it was a great meeting. Uh it was it was a great time, you know, like uh, we met uh, I met with them, you know, once uh once a week and they were excited to come. You know, we had a lot of very interesting um conversations, uh, a lot of insight. Um and and these weren't guys that were only there for you know misdemeanor charges or anything. A lot of them were waiting trial. They'd want to talk about their trial, and we always encourage them. Hey, don't talk about your trial. You don't talk about anything regarding your case. You know, you just come here just to talk about the anger management. And obviously, well, you know, I, I get a few. I, I got one guy one time I'll never forget. He said, "Well, I was really angry when I killed my dad, and I was like, okay, <laughs> let's let's not talk about your case. You know, let let's you know and." I remember that I was taken aback i I'd never met anybody who had actually allegedly killed their father. you know obviously, I'm not gonna say if it was true or not, but um just to be in that situation you know um it was interesting you know just to uh guess, just to experience that and so um You know, that was a, I remember that job. That was, that was fun. And, and also part of that job too involved inmates who were, you know, who were leaving jail, who were transitioning. So we'd help them with, you know, find housing, you know, halfway housing. If they had addictions, you know, alcohol addiction, meth addiction, cocaine, uh, you know, whatever it may be, uh, we helped them get into, you know, sober living. We would help transition them to, you know, long-term rehabilitation, um, you know, we wanted to help them integrate back into society. That's what we wanted to do. So that was uh, that was an exciting time. Um, so as much as I wanted a master's in social work, um, I just wanted a master's. I loved helping people. I still do. I just did not believe that social work was the way for me. Uh, for me, I, I wasn't thinking that that was going to be my long-term way of helping. And someone asked me, uh, they said, uh I ca I cannot remember who it was. I think it was a um I think it was a professor maybe. I was I was talking with a professor one time and and she said, you know, we all get one life. What do you want to do with your one life? If there were no boundaries, if there were no but this could but that could be well, this isn't forget about all those excuses. Forget about everything, any of those, you know, strongholds, anything that's holding you back. What is it that you would want to do if it was served to you on a platter that you could do until you're 70? And I immediately said, I want to be a doctor. I don't know how cells work. I don't know how to cure disease. I don't know the bacteria. I don't know any of that stuff. But if I had the ability to learn it, I mean, I've learned so much now in my master's. Um, I've been able to comprehend now, like, you know, ADHD was a big thing for me. That was a big stronghold in my life. If I could do anything, I would want to be a doctor. And that weighed heavy on me. It did for, for a couple of months. So, um, you know, school went through. And then uh, April 27th, 2011, uh, this date resonates for many of us, including myself, especially people across the Southwest and the Southeast United States. Uh, a huge series of tornadoes came through, and um, and it decimated, I'm not saying, just, I'm not talking just towns, cities. Uh, it took so much life. It, it took so much property away, and I remember I was living down the street of Bryant-Denny Stadium, the University of Alabama's football stadium, and I remember watching uh, the television, uh and watching the meteorologist at the time, you know, James James Span. Uh he's he's such a good meteorologist. Everyone knows when he takes his jacket off, it's serious. The weather is bad when he takes his jacket off. You know, they cancel all the uh regular broad regularly br- scheduled broadcasting. They go right to, you know, the doppler looking at the radar. And I remember seeing the stadium and then behind the stadium like maybe, you know, maybe half a mile, a quarter mile even was just this large F4 tornado. It, it was deemed an F4, I believe. I know some call it an F5. Uh, when they call it F4, F5, that's just the Fujita scale. Um, it's it, it measures the intensity of how much a tornado destroys, uh, how much damage it causes, you know, the wind speed, all that good stuff. So that's how they do it. Anyway, so... I remember seeing this tornado and it is just, it is, it is just slowly moving, um, you know, across the screen past the stadium. And I'm realizing I, I live down this stadium. And so the tornado chaser heart inside of me, instead of getting into a bathtub like you should, or, you know, into a basement if it's available, didn't have one of those. Um, I went outside to look, never a good idea. Don't do it. No matter how adventurous you feel like you may be, uh, just don't do that. Um, I remember seeing this tornado come through. Um, So I was in an apartment complex at the time, and there was a tree line, and then there was another apartment complex behind that tree line, uh, literally 50 yards away. And I don't see a tornado. I just don't. I don't see it. I see the sky moving. That's how close this thing was. And I remember how uh, I I wasn't even scared. I I was more scared for the people that were being affected by this as opposed to my own safety. Um, so I did see it go through, you know, it didn't, uh, shift or anything like that. It, It went straight past me. It avoided my apartment complex, but, I remember running down the street and you just see debris everywhere. You see people almost like zombies. They just, they were shocked. They could not believe what just happened. Their houses were gone. The apartment complexes were destroyed. Cars flipped over, power line. Nobody, everyone lost power. And my first instinct was to try to go out there and help as many people as I could. I I had, again, I had no clue how to be a medical professional of any kind at this point, again, you know, it's 2011. Um, and I remember, you know, I remember hugging people that were just crying. We had no clue who each other was. They were just scared. And, you know, those that were, you know, we call walking wounded, um, you know, they had, you know, abrasions to lacerations to, you know, whatever it may be, you know, um, you know, injury wise, and I remember just trying to, you know, wrap up what I could with whatever I have. I didn't have any gauze or anything on me at the time. Uh, so, you know, we just used, you know, shirts or sleeves or whatnot. Um, you know, we, we used whatever we had in our possession to try to stop bleeding and to provide the best first aid possible at that time. And I, I remember the chaos that it brought to Tuscaloosa. I know it brought chaos all over the southwest, southeast. I mean, these two tornadoes, they traveled Miles and miles and miles. Um, I believe they went all the way up to the parts of the East Coast as well. I mean these things just kept going, uh, some of them. And so I remember uh, you know sleeping that night and then the next night, it was bothering me so much that that I couldn't help them in a way that I wanted to help them. Um, that I it's not the I mean we all were left with that trauma of what happened. Uh, thankfully for me, none of my loved ones, you know, my close friends, everyone was safe, but strangers were dead and that bothered me. It did. Um, it bothered me that there were people hurt and I couldn't help them in a way that I truly wanted to. And so I remember two days later, um, I am standing in an apartment a tennis court and I am pacing back and forth and I decide I want to be a doctor. I want to do it. I remember this conversation I had with my professor and, you know, at the time I'm 24, uh, at the time when I'm having this conversation, uh, with, with my professor and, you know, a few months later, uh, these, uh, tornado events happen and I just realized I want to, I want to be a doctor. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to be a doctor. Many people lost their lives that day. Their lives are done. It's ended. It is over. You know, we're going to remember them, but that is it. That's the end of their life. And for me, I took it personal. I said, you know, what is the end of my life going to be like? What am I going to be doing? I mean, obviously, none of us know when the end of our lives are going to be. But if I had a choice, I'd want to end it as a doctor, as a physician. And so two days after those tornadoes happened, uh, I made the call to my graduate school. And I said, hey, uh, I am actually declaring for pre-med. Uh, undergrad I'm um, going to be a doctor and I wish you the best I appreciate it but I'm resigning from your program and they understood um, and they wished me the best as well and so came the phone call to my parents um, if you can imagine going from social work to doctor that is a huge jump and it is a costly one when it comes to years of school as well as time Uh, again, you know, I'm essentially starting over at age 24, but I didn't care. You know, I'm in that zone of, I don't care what I have to do. I don't care how much it's going to cost. If it is attainable, I'm going to do it. So I call up my parents. And uh, I remember talking to my father. And I said, Hey, so I just wanted to let you know, um, I resigned from graduate school, but don't worry, I'm going to be a doctor. And I thought the phone had cut out. I didn't hear anything for the longest time. I think I heard maybe a a couple of sighs of, I don't know if it's sighs of disappointment. I'm pretty sure my father would never say, no, I'm not disappointed in you. But um, you could tell that it was a big hit to them. They, They did not expect me to, you know, to just drop out of grad school like that and just say, hey, become a doctor. They did not expect that. I never really talked to them about it because I don't want to let them down. You know, I'm finally working on a master's and, you know, I'm only a year away from finishing it. Um, I just had that, you know, that feeling in my chest, that pressure, that deep pressure in my chest that was not going to go away unless I did something about it. Um, It felt like a huge elephant was just sitting on my chest and it wasn't letting up. It was just getting heavier and heavier And I had to do something about it. So uh, I told my dad and, you know, he said, well, you do what you need to do. And if you feel like this is the right path for you, if you know what you're doing, then do it. And and I remember um, I spent like four hours doing a timeline, literally a timeline out of every single prerequisite course I needed to get into med school, uh, every single one. And, you know, I, I, I didn't just willy nilly quit grad school. I, I made sure to plan this out, see how many years it would take. It would take many years. Um, it ended up taking from my first, uh, intro to biology course, uh, at 24, all the way up to, um, when I graduated from, uh, when I graduated from med school at, uh, 33. So nearly 10 years, uh, it, 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 it was a long time, but it was well worth it. My mom thought I was going through a phase. She said, "Oh, he's he's having a crisis." Um, you know, obviously, when you tell people you're quitting something, but you're going to do something else, and it may not seem like a direct connection, um, which I understand. You know, you know, your parents they want the best for you. Uh, sometimes you, you you know you throw a monkey wrench at them, and and they react. And I, I understand it. I get it. Um, you know, so. For me, uh, we, you know, I, I, made that change. And so I remember my very first class, uh, pre, uh, med class, you know, I was 24 and I was taking an intro course, um, into, uh, into biology just to, just to be a little bit more successful. Cause again, uh, I, I did not do well in sciences at all in grade school and I needed to, you know, do a little bit better and I wanted to start strong. So I, I took it with a bunch of, uh. A bunch of 18-year-olds, a lot of them were rushing sororities. You know, they were doing the fraternities. Um, It was an interesting experience, especially me being 24. Um, But I'm glad I did it. You know, I I took one course at a time, and, you know, it took about five years uh, to do prereqs. So um, I ended up, uh, actually, I I didn't do all five years of my prereqs at Alabama, as much as I would have wanted to. Alabama is a... Great institution, but you are paying for that brand, you really are. And so, um, I am actually, I I was like, Well, I could either stay here at Alabama in my town, in my little apartment that I'm living in, and take one course a semester because that's what I can afford, um, even with you know financial aid and all that, and start med school at 33, or I can move back home uh, do community college, you know, pay for four courses for the price of one at Alabama and start med school at 29. That's exactly what I did. I, uh, you know, after two years at Alabama, it was great, but, uh, I needed to, um, I needed to get these courses done. I needed to, you know, start med school, you know, realistically at, at a time when I, when I can. And so, uh, I moved back home to Alabama, um, you know, and, and let me tell you this right now, there is no shame moving back home with mom and dad when you're trying to better yourself, please hear that no shame whatsoever. I actually had a few stints where I did that, um, at various times, you know, uh, one time was for, you know, roughly, you know, two years to finish these prereqs, uh, cause I did community college. I did a couple of, those, um, courses at Athens state university, uh, concurrent. So I did them together And I ended up being able to start med school at uh, 29, thankfully. And so uh, for me, um, you know, when I made that change, uh, you know, it was a scary one. It really was. It was a very scary change, but it was a necessary one. Um, I'm going to talk about my late sister uh, in, you know, later episodes. I'm going to talk about my time at med school. I did not do a U.S. med school. I did the Caribbean med school. It was the best decision of my life, one of the many. I'm going to talk about those in subsequent um, episodes, but um, to be able to get to where I, you know, went from being a social worker to deciding, hey, you know, I need to make this career change. You know, I didn't have a wife at the time. I didn't have any kids or anything like that. Um, I knew that this was the best, best pathway for me. It was, it was scary. Um, because obviously you're going to have a lot of, uh, trials, tribulations. There's going to be a lot of hoops that you got to jump through. There's always going to be hoops, uh, no matter what profession you go through. Uh, I like to think of it as, well, my legs are going to get stronger, <laughs> you know, with every hoop. Um, I do want to end, on this note uh again i'll talk about more about my career a little bit more but that was just kind of the nitty-gritty of that career change you know that change that i had made um one of the last um quotes that someone told me it was when i first started you know my intro to biology course you know when i was 24 and you know i felt overwhelmed I almost started to think, was this a good idea? I don't know. I mean, i'm I'm thankful I'm not doing social work anymore, but I mean, we need social workers. by the way. let me let me put that in there. social workers, amazing, amazing crew, some of the best people I know, the biggest hearts, uh, the you know they're great discerners, social workers. Um, if it is for you, go for it. follow your calling. Mine was not that. And you have to recognize that. You have to recognize that that's not your calling. And so, uh, like I was saying, uh, uh, with one of the professors I was talking with, uh, I asked her, uh, you know, I said, "Man, I'm I'm, I'm pretty stressed um, about all this. Um, you know, not sure how to really handle it." And then she asked me, "How do you eat an elephant?" And I said, "I'm sorry, what? Elephants? She was like, "How do you eat an elephant?" You know, just asking it very nonchalantly, asking it like it's an everyday question, like, "Hey, how are you doing today? Or how's the weather? How do you eat an elephant?" And I was trying to analyze this left and right. I mean, it's a professor, so I'm trying to make sure I get this question right. And I was just overanalyzing it. And then mid-sentence, you know, when I'm talking about, well, is it a figurative or a literal elephant? Is it this, this? And then she put her hand on my shoulder, and I stopped talking, and she said, one bite at a time. So whatever it may be, whatever those situations may be, whatever, if it's a career change... If it is a change in your marriage status, if it is a change in location, like you're moving from, I don't know, Florida to Washington, you know, whatever it may be, one bite at a time, one little thing at a time. You know, if you're working on that master's, if you're working on that undergrad mom with a single mom with kids, if you're working on that undergrad, one bite at a time, all right? I'm reaching out to you too, because I know a lot of great uh, single moms who are killing it right now raising their kids and also doing school. Dads, I'm looking out for you too. I know it's a hard uh, you know it's hard out there. You're trying to better yourself as well. Whether it be with school or even with work. You know, you're working, you know, two, three jobs, maybe you're putting sixty plus hours a week in, uh, just to make ends meet. But I encourage everyone, you know, how do you get that elephant? How do you take on such a big task? One bite at a time. All right. Take your time, give yourself some grace. Tune in next time for All the Fills.